Today's episode of the Riderflex podcast is sponsored by our friends at Rockies Venture Club, an angel investing group dedicated to accelerating economic development by educating and connecting investors and entrepreneurs. Their mission is to advance economic development in the Rocky Mountain region. All right. Okay. <clears throat> Let me. Now I'm like, have my, I had a be, I had like a Avery brewing glass. I'm like, oh, maybe I should just get like a regular glass. <laughs> By the way, I did, the, I, I interviewed the general manager over there um, oh, for Avery brewing. Yeah. Great, great, great interview. And I was like, uh, my water glass is like a beer glass. Maybe I, should, uh, I shouldn't do that for the <laughs> uh, Do you go by Kim or Kimberly? Go by Kim. I think Kimber. I, like I love my full name, but it's so formal. It reminds my, me of being in trouble as a kid. <laughs> my my wife's name is Kimberly, and I call her Kim too. Yeah, and my well, my dad's name is Steve. It's funny. It's like all kind of coming. Is that, <laughs> huh? yeah. that's, that's wild. Yeah. Kim Merriman on the Rider Flex podcast. Kim is down in Denver today, right? Yes, I am. I, well, I hope you. I hope you have blue skies where you're at. I'm a little north. Uh, of Denver up near Loveland and we have that fire near Fort Collins and it's um man that it's getting it's getting a little close for me I think I'm getting nervous I'm recording this by the way for the listeners on October 14th 2020 we had a good little fire situation in Colorado yeah right now the skies are blue um but you know the winds can turn and it could start coming down here but I hope that you're safe and that if you know it doesn't come too much closer it's been a crazy summer with not just COVID but the fires and everything and Yes, craziness. And by the way, I'm a big mountain camper mm-hmm. guy. I mean, we go to the mountains just, you know, every chance we get. And because I live in the northern Colorado, we usually go northwest because it's just easier. Yeah. And that's where, and that's where all the fires have been. And uh, it's been uh, yeah, a pain in the ass. I'll be glad when it's over. <laughs> yeah, well, what's crazy is a few, like a couple months ago, I took a friend up um, to Grand Lake for the weekend. I mean, went through Rocky Mountain National Park and took him through there to go to Estes. Yep. And couple weeks later it's like where all the smoke clouds and the fires were happening and I sent him pictures of what was going on I was like we literally drove this road a month ago and he was like wow he lives in New York where I used to live um we're best friends and he was like wow I'm like yep it's crazy was that, was that his first time through Rocky Mountain National Park it was yeah and we had to do the whole like sign up for the pass and the, the lottery they do <laughs> I woke up at like eight I was in line 8 a.m bought my pass I was good things sell out in like seconds you know, to right. get your part because you have to have a driving pass to go through Rocky Mountain National Park. You can't just show up anymore. That's right. I heard that. I heard that. Yeah. Isn't it interesting when we get visitors from out of town? The first time I take them to Estes Park or, or Rocky Mountain National Park, and they're just so fascinated by it. They're taking pictures everywhere. And I, mm-hmm. it's a good reminder for me to like, oh, yeah, I shouldn't take any of this for granted. This is actually pretty cool. <laughs> oh, yeah. We took him to the Stanley and explained, like, this is where Stephen King wrote The Shining and had cocktails. And it's just kind of cool. It's a, you know, you, we can get there in what, 90 minutes, not even. And, right. You know, some people are like, wow, I always wanted to go there. I'm like, it's just up the highway. My favorite thing about the Stanley is that their bourbon selection is the largest whiskey selection I have ever seen. It's primo. It's primo. I, those are some <laughs> of the best cocktails. My boyfriend, Ben, and I talk about that. They're some of the best cocktails we ever had. And what's cool is yep. when you go into the bar, you can see how we got the inspiration um, yeah. for the book and in the movie. You're like, oh, wow, this is just, this is it. They just made it on a larger scale. It's very cool. Um, very cool. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. So, so tell us a little bit about you personally before sure. we get in, before we get into business, where you grew up, some family stuff, go for yeah. it. 
So I'm from outside of Reading, Pennsylvania, a tiny little town called Douglasville, if anyone's familiar with that. That's why you went to Penn State. Okay. That's why I went to Penn State. Yep. So I actually, before I even went to Penn State, I danced. I was a ballerina in high school and I moved away from home at 15 years old to dance with Pittsburgh Ballet Theater School. And I also danced with Pittsburgh Ballet Theater, um, wow. doing some parts in some of the productions. Wow. So I had a student contract and stuff like that. It was very cool. So I moved away from home for my junior and senior year of high school with the plan that professional ballet was going to be my trajectory. Woo, man, that must have been tough on you as a, as a 15, 16 year old, 17 year old. Was that tough? I mean, it was what I wanted to do since I was like 11. And I actually had a negotiation with my parents. I wanted to move to New York at 13 to the School of American Ballet. My parents said, no way. I, w I went there for a summer program and I was like, I want to stay. My parents said, you have to stay at home for your first years of high school. And then you can move away when you're 15. So there was a very much... I see. Like a negotiation, my parents were like, school is number one, you know, ballet will be always number two in, in their eyes. And so you have to have the grades to participate and do all this in ballet. Okay. Who'd you, live, who, who'd you live with? My parents, Steve and Jill Merriman. Um, they oh. are in a, a, a ballet school or in life? Oh, well, yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess before, tell me about your parents and any siblings, but I'm curious as to who, who took care oh, of you, sure. who'd you live with at the dance thing? Go ahead. Yeah, so I... My parents, we had that agreement. So I moved to Pittsburgh. I lived with the host family. She oh. lived in Shadyside neighborhood of uh, Pittsburgh. And mm. so right there on South Negley Street, if anyone's familiar, shout out to the Berg. And I, so she had two other ballerinas on myself that lived with her. So she had a big brownstone that's kind of an older part of the city. They have these beautiful huge brownstones. It was her and her son. So we lived on her third floor, um, three bedrooms and a bathroom up there. So it was kind of the little ballerina lair. How old and was the boy? How old was the boy? Uh, he was like eight or nine. Oh, I was going to say, if he was a teenager, he was in heaven because he's got like three dollars. No, yeah, he was a there. little bit younger. I think he still was enamored with us in a, in a way. He was so, so nice. Uh, Very okay. shy. Um, yeah, and me, I mean, I had a bus pass. We took the, my junior year, I took a bus to school, um, to ballet school, and then they had a school bus that took us to high school. But I was very independent. I had my own bank account. I used to do babysitting on the side to make extra money. You know, I, I, bought my own toiletries and you know that was kind of the plan from when I was little all right so it was very normal for me to make that transition it was actually a, a big relief to my parents because my mom drove me all over God's green earth <sighs> to and from New York City for auditions I used to she used to pick me up in, from high school drive me one hour north to Bethlehem Pennsylvania I used to take class for two to three hours and then she'd just sit there and wait and do work and and Oof. you know hang out and then would drive me home um, another hour and I would do my homework in the car, I ate my food in the car. So it was very a good relief. So they could focus on, I have a younger brother whose name is Ryan. He's okay. actually a golf course superintendent at East Hampton golf club. So he oh. lives a very different life than I do now. Um, <laughs> managing the grounds of a golf course in East Hampton, New York. And he is wonderful. He's three and a half years younger than me. So oh, he also cool. went to Penn pretty state cool. shout out. We are. Oh, he and, did. Is, is, did one of your folks go there? Is that, was that the reason or? No, it's just we were, you know, we were from Pennsylvania. My mom is from Wisconsin. Okay. Um, go Pack Go. And my dad is from Long Island. And my dad actually went to the University of Miami in Florida. And my mom had gone to computer school back in the day when computers were the size of like a house. Um, <laughs> but they had met in the Navy. They went, they were both in the Navy. They met in the Navy and oh. they were in for five year stints. They ended up getting married and they moved to Pennsylvania. And I was born a couple years later. <laughs> well, now, can I ask a question there? Did they both graduate college and then join the Navy as officers or was it, or was it? Uh, so Navy my mom, yeah. 
Yeah, so my mom did not go to undergrad. Um, she just joined as enlisted. And my dad actually graduated university, but joined as an enlisted guy because he said that they had more fun than officers did. <laughs> so they traveled all over the world. My mom lived in Italy for several years. My dad was on aircraft carriers and they actually met when they were in San Diego. They were weather observers. Oh, really? Pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Cool yeah. story. Still married? Still married. It'll be 39 years, I think. Good for them. Good right? for them. Yes, for them. next will be 40. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Okay, good. And then, all right, so you go to Penn State. Why'd you, so you went to Penn State because it was in-state, I guess? In-state, and I had kind of made some quick decisions to leave the, being a professional ballerina or that path. I actually injured my back when I was down dancing for Miami City Ballet in a summer program, oh. and I kind of reassessed my thoughts on having ballet as my full-time career. Um, and, okay. you know, I came back senior of high school, had this really bad injury, and I just was like, I need, think I need to kind of, you know, focus on a different direction. I had kept my grades up. I had taken the SATs and the ACTs because I was going to go to Pitt at night um, while I was dancing professionally just to kind of build my, get my credits done. Because one day, like all athletes, your career comes, whether you decide <laughs> that day or an injury decides it for right. you, right. the day comes, you can't dance forever. Right. So I was going to work in that direction and it ended up changing. I went to Penn State because I applied. I was an in-stater. I got into main campus, which at the time, and I'm sure still is, is quite challenging because there's so many satellite campuses they can ship you off to. Oh, I so see. I got into the main campus for freshman year, and that's kind of what happened. Went there. Did you, for did four you get years. to go to the football four years to go to the football games? I did. I went to almost every home game. I was super fortunate to be selected in the student lottery every year. You had to put in for a lottery to get a ticket, a student ticket. Awesome. And somehow I got really lucky all four years. And I went to almost all the games, which oh, is great. pretty cool. Pretty cool. I know. And okay. then I watch videos now and it's like, and the whiteout was started there, like the Penn state whiteout where you all wear white and it's, you know, it's super cool on television. And now I, you know, we haven't even started the season yet. And it makes me sad to watch like old videos. I'm like, Oh God, are we ever going to get back to that? I hope. <laughs> and, and did you know, did you know what you wanted to do or what you wanted to be, so to speak, when you're going through those four years? I had no idea. And if I could go back <laughs> now with the knowledge of, uh, you know, go back now with this knowledge, I would probably have, chosen a little bit of a different path. Um, I thought I wanted to be spy. I'm going to be super honest. I was like, I'm going to be Jason that, Warren. That's, that's cool. Me. That's cool. I took Arabic yeah. class while All I was right. in undergrad. I don't remember anything except like three phrases, which is sad because I spent so many hours <laughs> studying Arabic. Um, and then I decided I wanted to go into law. So no, I what, actually what, a, what what triggered that? Yeah, what, there was something something turned the corner, right? What happened there? I just thought it was really interesting. Like my mind kind of was drawn in that direction, and I ended up having a professor at Penn State. Um, his name is Cal Golumbic, and he was a retired partner of a firm in D.C., Aaron Fox, who came back to Penn State to teach in retirement. Okay. And he um, kind of became a mentor of mine, and actually his oldest son is one of my really good friends in New York. I see. And he just said, you know, he kind of helped me form that path, but he also gave me some of the best advice, which was to go work first before you do any postgraduate work, whether that's grad school, law school, MBA. He's like, go out and go work at a corporate law firm and see what that is really like. Because it's not the movies. It's not the TV shows. Right. It's not what you think it is. So go do what you think you want to do and then come back to me and tell me what you think. And you okay. might change direction. So that's what I did. I applied to a bunch of law firms in New York and D.C. I ended up working at Skadden Arps for a year, which is a top law firm in New York. I was on the corporate finance side and I realized that I loved law, but I didn't want to be a corporate attorney. Okay. So I cut that his advice rang true. So I highly recommend that advice to anyone, especially because there's, you know, grad school's expensive, law school's expensive. So I think it, it's good to take that extra year of time to figure out for yourself, you know, or a couple years. Cause 
it's a lot of debt that comes with that potentially. Mm -hmm. And if it's not what you love, then you still have that dark cloud of student loans that might follow you around. <laughs> great advice. Um, potentially. Really, really, really great advice right there for anybody listening that's young coming out of get, getting your undergrad. Internships are so critical, not just for life grooming and people skills and experiences, but it will help guide you towards what you really want to do. It really will. I highly encourage it. Yeah. Great advice. And especially I think when, um, you know, a lot of us graduate undergrad, I think a lot of us, I don't want to say feel lost, but it's, you're not quite sure. Yeah. I, I highly recommend it. And even try industries you might not think you'd like. Mm -hmm. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's totally different. It turns out being, I, I, I would have not told you 15 years, 16 years later, I would have started a financial company and I would have been working on wall street and all these things. Right. So take a chance and yeah, move yeah, to a city sure. that maybe you didn't think you'd be at or something like that. So don't be afraid. The best time to do it is when you're young and you don't mind living in that tiny studio apartment and working the long hours and, and you have to put the grind in, right? You know, it's not, it's the hours and the work and building that resume and, and the skills you'll get then that help as you go down the road of your career. And so you did Goldman Sachs was before you even went to law school. Yeah, I actually, so I joined Goldman in 07. It's about a year before the financial crisis started, April 07. And I um, worked on a private wealth management team, the biggest one in New York, in the country at the time. I still think they're one of the biggest teams. Ooh. And I kind of jumped right in. I knew very little about finance, to be super okay. honest. I studied okay. up for my interviews. And it's true, the interviews were days, several days, hours and hours of interviews, rounds and rounds of people. Got through all that, got the offer. I, I was, what, 22 years old, 23. Congrats, congrats. That's a, big, that's a pretty major accomplishment. Yeah. I mean, it was great. And so I came in and I kind of like jumped into the deep end of the pool right away in terms of being on the desk. It was a trading desk, super busy. We had 400, 450 clients. They managed billions and millions of dollars. I, you know, I got my series seven and my 63. I still have them. And I just kind of jumped in and, okay. you know, paid attention, was nervous, asked a lot of questions, wrote everything down. And that was a great experience on my team. And during that time, I knew I still wanted to go to law school. So okay. after about a year and a half on the team, I went to my advisors, my bosses, and said, I, I would like to do this. And Goldman had, has a tuition reimbursement program. Oh, and I think beautiful. it's different now than it is was then. I think they've changed the parameters. This is obviously like 09. It's a while ago. <laughs> yeah. um, and I, so I went part-time at night. So nice. I applied to law school and I worked at Goldman like seven to five. And then I ran home changed my clothes or I ran right from the office with my books and I logged in as a law student from six to 10, four nights a week Whoa. And I did that for three and a half years. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Let that, let that sink in everybody. Let's just take a pause right there. Let's just take a deep <laughs> breath right there. Uh, she said that pretty casually, but that is some major commitment right there because the job itself at Goldman Sachs is super tough, right? Yes. And, and yeah, you're paying attention all day. Yeah. And then law school for another four hours. So not, not a lot of social time in there for you, right? No. And, no, and I was dating a, a person at the time who was so, so supportive. I don't want to shout out his name or anything for his yeah. privacy, but yeah. he was so supportive. And, you know, I would always say things to him like Christmas doesn't exist till law school finals are over. And if that means <laughs> I have finals till the 20th, I'm in that mode. And he was so supportive and so generous and just knew that I had this crazy schedule and you know, it was one of the pieces that helped me get through law school and just, and working at GS. And when I, when my, when my team at GS said, we're going to give you the approval to, um, you know, go to law school part-time, they were like, there's no textbooks that are allowed on your desk. There's no outlines. Like you're at work and you work yep. and you're at law school and you do law school. Whereas I had friends in law school who 
you know, study at their desk and did their outlines at their desk. I was like, well, I can't, I mean, yeah. if they even get a whiff of it, you know, so it really <laughs> made me time management focus, um, you know, law school's hard in general, but what I think it was interesting is the daytime students, there's a different kind of competitive vibe, I think, in law, I know exists in law school. Um. And the nighttime students, we were all parents working, busy. It was a much more collaborative experience and helpful. Whereas, you know, I, I think my schedule was crazy, but I went to school with people who are much older than I was at the time and had children. And so they would go home and like pack lunches and check homework. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm dragging myself home to lay on my couch to, you know, finish work and then sleep for four hours and do this all again. So I had a horse. I was like, wow, I don't even know how you're doing that. I can barely get through the day. I feel like now. (laughs) So then after Goldman Sachs, you, you left there for a brief time, but went back, huh? I did. Yeah. So I was, um, I left to finish my law degree because after a while I was pretty burned out. So I took a little bit of time to finish. I ended up going back to the Houston office since I was originally going to be moving to um, Texas for a life event. I I had been in a a relationship with someone and we were planning on getting married and I was going to be moving to El Paso, Texas. That ended, which, um, you know, no hard feelings. And I ended up moving to the Goldman Houston office. I see. Okay. I did that for a year. You didn't miss out. You didn't, you didn't miss out on anything, not going to El Paso. And I, I've been through I, it. I, I poly- been po- park is there. <laughs> Apologies to all my friends that live in El, pa- El Paso. Okay, no, go uh, ahead. Yeah. All right. So you're down, you're down in Houston. All right, go for Houston, it. <laughs> you're there. Um, it wasn't my favorite place. I didn't mind it, but I definitely <laughs> like, this isn't a place that I want to stay. I made some really, really great friends though in contacts that I still speak to. I don't and know why. I, I mean, I, I don't know why. I mean, it's like a hundred degrees with 99% humidity and mosquitoes, yeah. are, mosquitoes are as giant as birds. I don't yeah. know why you didn't like it. I mean, come on. Yeah, it was just like, wow, this is, I'm sweating all the time. Like it's like <laughs> down the back of my neck. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so intense. Yeah. <laughs> and it was a great experience because I went from a really, really big team in New York to a small brand new team with two new advisors. And so it was help. It was a totally different animal of how to build a business in a totally different climate and part of the country where yeah, good experience. New York was very one way. It's very quick, direct to get to the point. Whereas when I was in Houston, it took a little bit of time, more and more meetings, getting to know somebody. You're like, you're like, come on guys, let's go. Come on. Yeah, and I had to kind of like pull back a little bit. And that's really another important point is to realize, you know, demographically in the US, things yes. happen different times, Absolutely. different yes. ways. Yes, they do. You know, wearing my heels to a ranch was not the right vibe right so you have to kind of read the room and read where you are and that's really a skill I think and just pay attention you know look at the signs and what's happening around you because you know New York is one way and Houston was very different yes absolutely and and that's a nice pause right there for the listeners we're we're kind of having fun with this conversation but this is real stuff we're talking about like you you better know your environment you better know where you're at and the speed of which people move, the way they talk, uh, everything. All of that does matter when you're trying to develop business relationships. So yeah, good experience for you. Okay, then, all right, so, and then what happened? JP Morgan called and said, we want you over here. (laughs) Well, they did, but I, actually what I did, this is another interesting fact is I, when I was in Houston, I ended up leaving GS after a year just because I was like, it's not my favorite place um, down here. I'm gonna try somewhere else. So I ended up selling all of my belongings, almost all of them. I put the rest of my stuff in my car and I still have that Volvo. I drive it today. It's an 08. So I respect cool. people that keep their cars for a long time just because, you know, cool. mine's still chugging along. And I put the rest of my stuff in a storage pod 
um, a U-Haul U-Box of five by eight or whatever it was. And I drove around the country for about three months by myself. Awesome. Um, awesome. Went all Western, oh. Yeah. Went all oh. over the Western States and up to Vancouver and um, Victoria. So I went and I hiked, I rock climbed, I met friends who lived in different places. I kind of had an idea of what I wanted to see and where I wanted to go, but I took the time to really explore. Now, see, you just, you just went up on the cool factor a few more notches. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that you did that. Okay. Now it's like, okay, now I like her even better. Yeah. That's very cool. How old were you when you did that? I was, was I, uh, 29? 29, 29 or so 29. 29 i think i turned 30 when i got to chicago so i'm i was 29 so you had a, you probably had a little cash savings you probably had enough money to take some time off and enjoy it not not, yeah. not worried not have to eat ramen noodles every day i mean i uh, was peanut butter and jelly and i was i stayed with friends and i um i wouldn't awesome. book a hotel till i got to the town that i wanted to stay in and i'd pull up you know hotwire.com and all this stuff from back in the day and i was super frugal you know, I, like I would it. do. That's a cool experience. Yeah. But, and a lot of national parks, you know, you have a park pass, you can get in and the park pass isn't too expensive. And there's a lot of hiking you can do for free and yep. figuring it out. Camping, you know, a lot it's of, not. A lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of camping you can do for free if you know where to go on BLM 100%. land or, or, or national forest land. I mean, you can yeah. camp for free. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. I bet, I bet when you look back on your life now, I mean, you're still super young, but I mean, I bet when you look back. Yeah. You, I bet I bet that three or four months right there for you is that is a, that is a special time, right? It was awesome. It was I never thought you know in my twenties I'd have the time to take that kind of time away from my career to do something cool like that. But it was it's been a, it's I've learned yeah. so much about myself yeah. and all the, like the trials and tribulations and you know your tire blows and you got to figure that out and you're by yourself and you have to learn how to entertain yourself so you're not stuck on your phone and you got, those are important skills i think people need to learn because i think so much of our life is ruled by technology and that's amazing but i think Great. it's important yep. to read a book be in nature not be comparing ourselves to others which i think is getting even more and more compared to when i took this trip when i was yes. 29 yes but i think it's important to learn that you got to be happy you have to be happy yourself because no one else can do that for you my dad always says you know everywhere is exotic till you get there and then, it's, Ooh, just another, that's a good and then line. it's just another place. That's a good line. I like that. I'm going to use that one. I'm going to use that. I would, I, I, that is a good line. I would pause right there for the listeners and just say, listen, here's the deal. You're, you're so right, Kim. Uh, I see people so trapped by their phones and, and social media and trying to be liked and trying to compare themselves to others. I, I really just want to encourage you. Even You don't have to live in Colorado, but... Go, go to a park and, and turn your phone off for half a day. Uh, you know, just don't even bring it with you. Leave it at home. Yeah, or don't even bring it with you. Just, just, I mean, it is so refreshing. I purposely, when I go to the mountains in Colorado, I purposely go where I, where I cannot connect. If I get to a spot that I targeted for camping and I get there and I can still connect on my phone, I will go somewhere else on purpose because I do not want to be tempted to grab my phone so yes i highly encourage that and the same way we camp at lots of places and i love when i you know no reception i just put it on airplane mode or turn it off and i'm out we're out there for you know yes. 24 36 48 hours i think it's important so refreshing. And i think it's important to realize that you know no one else is going to make you happy not a relationship not a job not anything unless you yourself are actively working on those things and not taking because if you can go to lots of different places and cities and things but if you're taking if you're not working through the problems and i think that's 
you know, this is kind of like the, the yoga side of me coming in that introspection of yourself is very scary and very hard, but I think very necessary because mm -hmm. it helps you kind of like walk through the fires you're dealing with in your life or from the past and get to the other side instead of I trying to mandate it or ignore it you know and that's more my yogic side that comes through but i think it's important i think it's but it's scary it's a lot and it doesn't happen overnight it can take years and time and lots of journaling or whatever you're doing and you know mm -hmm. tell me tell me about the talk can you talk about is, is now the good time for a segue to the yoga before jp sure. morgan i don't i don't know but Either just so one. you know when i when i found your your youtube video on yoga i found myself doing this i i was watching you talk and I, I, was, I started setting it up straight. I was Good. trying to, I was trying Talk, to. Use your core, pull it in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they kind of go hand in hand, the JP Morgan. I moved to Chicago, joined JP Morgan, and I found um, a really great studio through a few girls that I had met in Chicago. And that was a studio, it's a Kundalini yoga studio, if anyone's familiar with Kundalini yoga, which is a bit different than Hatha and Vinyasa. Um, I, don't, I don't know what any of that means, but okay. <laughs> yes, Kundalini is more breath work and meditation. I, I, I say that Kundalini is taking care of your soul and your mind. And then Hoth and Vinyasa does that as well, but that's much more the flow, the physical components where you're moving, the asana, so to speak, of yoga. I see. Um, so I found a studio that was Kundalini and I had met some really nice friends and that kind of opened my eyes to a different component of yoga and yoga, not just being fitness focused, which is how I was kind of practicing that, you know, when I was a dancer and then in New York. So it kind of opened this idea of like, wow, I can use this for a much more mental and spiritual and emotional practice. Instead of just mm. the physical, I come in here, I sweat it out, do my 60 yep. minutes and then I leave, you know, and kind mm -hmm. of care. So, but as a JP Morgan found the studio, I was in the private bank there working on kind of a business risk team I loved it. I uh, was there three years, made some amazing friends. And then I realized I didn't want to stay in Chicago because of the winters. The summers are amazing. The street fests are amazing. I love the lake. It is a stunning city. Some of those winters, I was like, I'm East Coast, <laughs> lived in New York, Pennsylvania. That's cold, right? Chicago, I respect everyone in Chicago who stays a long time. It is super, super cold. Um, <laughs> I ended up transferring to JP Morgan Denver in the private bank. So I came out here first. Did you get um, to pick Denver? Were you, were you like, you're like, hey, Hey, uh, Mr. or Mrs. Supervisor, Denver. I want Denver. How did that happen? Little bit. Yeah, I mean, I had an interview and finagle it a little bit. Um, when I first set my sights in Denver, the job that I got here was not a job posted yet, but it mm. kind of worked its way. And I was looking at other opportunities and I knew I wanted to be in a more outdoor kind of place like everyone that comes here. But right, right. it took me about, oh, I'd say a solid 18 months to get the opportunity locked in till I could move here. So it was not a quick process. So know everyone, it doesn't happen overnight. Even if you set your sights, you gotta be diligent and keep applying, keep looking, don't let the dream die. Even if you feel frustrated, mm -hmm. you know, maybe take a day off from looking if you're feeling, you know, it's becoming a burden, but keep going. Good it didn't advice. happen Good. for me overnight. It took a long time. Good advice. Good advice. Yeah. And, and then, but oh, you, left the, you left there in 2018. Well, did you- 2017, 20, oh, J.P. Morgan, you mean, yes. Yeah, yeah. Then, yeah so you got to Denver and, and then you ended up leaving there. Is, was that because you were getting the entrepreneurial bug? Or I was. Did you get, oh, were you? And where did, where did that come from? Your, your, your mom and dad, did they, did they own their own business? Were they entrepreneurs? No, my mom was a homemaker until um, we both were old enough and I was gone. And then she went back to being she was a teacher at the school that my brother and I went to growing up. And my dad worked for uh, Mobile and the Nexon Mobile and Buckeye Pipeline. So he was in a very different kind of business. Um, well, where'd you get that? Where, where'd the entrepreneurial bug come from? What happened? How'd that I, get in there? I think part of it's ingrained in just kind of me as a person. But also when I was at JP Morgan here, I covered 
um, in the private bank Boulder and entrepreneurs and fintech uh, oh. and entrepreneurs on the front range. So There's I kind a, of got more of a yep. flavor yep. of what it takes to build a business and a company. And I had, you know, and just kind of all those components from talking to these founders of companies got, and, gotcha. and their employees gotcha. and just things like that. So then I, there was a FinTech company here that I joined to build up the asset management part of the firm. And that was great. So that was very coming in from the ground up, you know, helping build out with our, my vision along with my, my partners on that team. And, you know, unfortunately kind of things didn't go exactly as we'd hoped. But and you there learned, was you learned, learned fund. But you yeah. learned a ton, learned a ton. Yep. Learned a ton, made amazing contacts. I went to, you know, it just kind of branched out from just being true finance to kind of this FinTech piece and, and focus on the blockchain component, which I had gotten interested in because of my clients here in Colorado. A lot of my clients were very into blockchain technology and crypto long before people were really adopting it fully okay. Okay. and understanding it. So I would have conversations during our meetings and I said, you know, I have to educate myself on this, on this blockchain world. So I'd go to my own, con I'd go to conferences and I looked up, up events here in Denver and Boulder. I kind of signed up for them and made, did my own due diligence and research on my own, read papers, watched YouTubes, just because even three years ago, three and a half years ago, there was less information then than there is now regarding that space. And it's more gotcha. popular now. People have been, it's been more adopted. So I did a lot of my own homework, which also important, do your own homework. Right. Um, even if it encroaches on free time, it can be, can reap yes. benefits and rewards. Cool. And then put, put, my, put, down the, put, put down the Xbox and the Facebook scrolling and actually do yeah. something productive. <laughs> Leave the abyss of social media. And you know, I know it's hard to do. It's a drug basically, but take that time, especially if you're trying to make the transition, it's important so that you have that kind of foundation and knowledge. And, you know, it's, it's not always glamorous, but it's, it's worthwhile to do that. So you, and then you'll feel more confident when you're speaking about a subject or a space. So you're in this. So you're in the world now. You're in Boulder. You're in the. You're in the startup. You're starting. You're talking to startup founders or invest mm -hmm. investors and and you try to think. Was it Salt Lending? I think was where the startup that you were part yep. of. Yeah, and yeah, and they still exist here in Denver. Okay. And unfortunately, the asset management firm, the asset management arm, I should say, didn't quite pan out like okay. we had hoped. So we ended okay. up winding it down. And but my partners and the portfolio manager of um, the, our hedge fund, we spun out and formed A3 Financial. Ah, that, now. ah, ah that, okay. So that's how that started. It so all A3, comes, yes, full circle. Uh, all right. So A3 Financial, which you are a co-founder of or managing director, or I don't, or principal. So there's five of us that are partners, principals, and co-founders. So okay. I am the sole female founder representing awesome. females out here. And, um, <laughs> There, yeah, we all are super collaborative. We had worked together at Salt for you know the the year we were there. We had decided to spin out, and we actually ended up forming everything from scratch. And we launched a an interval fund, which is part of the mutual fund family. Okay. And we launched that last October, oh, September thirtieth. So we just had our one year anniversary of the fund, which is very very exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. And it's been you know I, from working with entrepreneurs, I I knew how much it took and takes right. to build a business, especially from nothing. Right. Um, but then I did it. I've been doing it myself with my partners and I'm, you know, it, you have to, it takes a lot. And yes. there are some days where you're exhausted. I'm sure you can attest to this as well, but you, you know, and no matter what problem comes up, one of you has to resolve it or That's one right. or two of you. I've crawled on the floor, plugged in phones. I built our website from nothing. I'd never built a website before. I built, I did all our, all our marketing pieces. I helped raise capital. You know, I, you know, I always took for it granted when being at a big bank that uh, prospectuses and pitch decks and fact sheets and everything else, they're just there. 
Like you click on a link for a fund and boom, it's all there. Yeah. <laughs> now, now I'm intimately involved in the aspects of building that and the drafting and the editing and what it's going to look like and forming the investment strategy and, and all those components. So it's a whole new base of knowledge and that I, it's, I've learned so much and I think it's really important to, you know, if you want to start a financial firm or, you know, or a fund or what that looks like, it's, there's no better way to do it from nothing and scratch and what it actually means and all the tiny pieces that it, you know, it runs and it's different to form a hedge fund compared to a registered fund, which mm. ours is, which means our fund has a ticker. You can I look it up that ticker is triple ACX. So AACX, okay. but you know, there's different laws and rules and regulations around a registered fund compared to a hedge fund or private equity. I see. Why don't you, why don't you give us the three minute ele elevator pitch for A3 financial investments? Give us the, pretend yeah, like, you, high you, level. G g yeah, give me the, give me the pitch. Go for it. <laughs> well, what was interesting is so I, when I was in private banking and private wealth management and several of my other partners, you know, I had a lot of clients who were always looking for income and how do I find income without taking the risk? Cause there's a lot of income products that have leverage on them or leverage loan, just different kinds of risk parameters that okay. investors might not be aware of and might not be comfortable with. So okay. I was always thinking like, how can I help my, my clients, especially as if they're entering the retirement phase of their lives to find this income, you know, these products that help, help that generate that income in their portfolio. Okay. So actually when we got together, right, we spun out and we're thinking about what we're going to form as our fund. This was the question we wanted to answer how to help investors and, you know, have income in their portfolio without taking undue risk. And so the strategy we created is an alternative credit strategy. So we have different, go ahead. Yeah, we have different yeah, parts yeah, yeah. of the market we play in, like reverse mortgages, um, CLO debt, CLO equity. There's some direct loans that we have, you know, there's, you know, asset-backed securities, um, things of that nature. And so we, we, but we wanted to, you know, when we were looking at strategies, a lot of are the strategies that are like ours are packaged in a hedge fund. And we were like, we don't want to do that. Mm. So we chose an interval fund, which is a trans much more transparent vehicle. So you can buy it on the exchange. It strikes a price every day. So the net asset value, the NAV, you can track performance and it's struck every day. So you could pull up our ticker on your phone in your stock app or on Bloomberg or Yahoo Finance and boom, it's right there. But mm. it, what it gives is investors that transparency and you can see every day how it's moving. Now, I, you know, it's, it could be a bumpy ride just because, you know, the, especially now this market's been crazy this summer with COVID and just mm -hmm. kind of what's gone on. But you can look and see exactly what's happening within the portfolio and kind of, you know, there's that transparency you don't get with a hedge fund in private equity per se. Who's your target? Uh, what do you call them? Client? Do you call them clients? I don't know if you Clients or prospects. Yeah. So we, we're looking, you know, the family offices, the registered investment advisors, institutional investors, and, you know, our product is non-accredited. You don't have to be an accredited investor. You don't. So you're okay. able to go out and buy our fund if you're not not meeting those accreditation requirements. Some funds have you have to meet those parameters. But we're look, for those that are looking to generate income and yield in kind of a yield-starved universe. Mm -hmm. Everyone's out there hunting for yield. Interest rates are massively compressed and probably will be for the foreseeable future for the next several years. So, you know, we're providing a safe product, a safe you know, hopefully to help investors answer the question of where we're looking for, where they're looking for income. Now, is this a, is this a fair question in layman's terms? When I hear you say family office and things like that, I, I'm in my head immediately thinks your clients are all millionaires. Is that the case or do you, are you taking? No, not, not necessarily. There's, we have family offices that are, and we have clients that have just been, you know, successful, but also trying to build out their, their portfolio. So they don't have to be a, like a multimillionaire to, okay own the fund. No. Okay. Okay. Very and that good. was one reason we wanted to be able to have retail investors access. Cause 
you know, retail investors can't access those hedge fund and private equity right. products. That's right, a right. there's that accredited investor threshold. So, so if you're a, a if you're a sixty year old couple and you have five hundred grand in the bank and you you it's just setting in a savings account, <laughs> you you might want to you might want to look up A three Financial and and is that is that accurate? Is that, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're on different platforms like TD Ameritrade, SCI, and Pershing, and we're you know we're working with Fidelity and Schwab and getting on the big dog platforms. It just takes time, and there's more due diligence that goes into the term, different platforms. But you know, in time, it'll be on all the platforms, and that's you know we're hoping to solve for that problem that people are experiencing, especially um, you know when you're getting to retirement, you have that fixed income in terms right. of you know you're not bringing in big income or a salary like you were when you were younger we're helping to solve that problem for those that are, you know, like half of my retirement is in our fund, for example. Can, oh, it is. Okay. Now that's good to know. I'm eating what I'm cooking and making. I like that. I know. I like that. That's good to know. Can you move money in and out daily, weekly? How does that work? Sure. So for an interval fund, you can buy daily and then it has a quarterly tender offer or repurchase as it's known. So once a quarter paperwork code, code goes out and you can put into for Q4, of this year, it'll be 15% of the net asset value you can redeem out if you wanted to. I so there's see. components. And the reason for that is it allows for us to get notice if we have to meet client repurchases, mm -hmm. but what it allows for us to have products like some direct loans and things of that nature, that if you had a daily sell, kind of like a true mutual fund or an ETF, you know, it wouldn't be conducive because you'd be selling in and out of things too much as the portfolio manager to kind of meet those needs. So this allows for us to find those interesting niche opportunities and, and products and, and things are purchased for the portfolio, but giving us kind of a little bit longer of a look. So you can, you know, we're looking at quarter by quarter, so you don't have to sell and be a forced seller right away if people want to redeem out. Okay, so very good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very good. Let me ask you, let me ask you some co-founder questions. Sure. How many, you said there were five? Five. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I know, I know from experience that, um, you know, five co-founders in a small company, sometimes there can be challenges there. Uh, what, what's the, what's the separation of duties and what's the um, org chart look like when the shit hits the fan and you guys are having a little, dis, you know, disagreement, which I'm sure happens from time to time. Who, who's in charge? What's the, Walk me through what that looks like a little bit. Sure. So there's three of us that focus on capital raising and the marketing piece. It's myself okay. and two of my partners, Chris and Lars. Okay. I work, I also handle our tech, our human resources. I create the marketing pieces and work with an outside firm so that they're FINRA compliant. That's fair. That's required. Okay. And then Greg is our portfolio manager, Greg Bell. And, he, and then Greg, Tony Bosch is our, um, our chief compliance officer and general counsel. And he's the one really embedded all the legal components. Okay. Looking at, you know, we go through, it's all the fees and just everything, detail, detail, detail. And then we are part of, you know, the valuation committee if we have to look at private investments and things of that nature. So we all wear different hats. Okay. But if there's like a crisis, you know, we all kind of, we all know, and we jump into the pool and we figure out how we're going to tackle it. Okay. You know, if it's IT related, I do a lot of that. Um, if it's, you know, thankfully it's, it's, there haven't been too many crises. It's more so just making sure we're all pulling the oars in the right direction to raise capital. We have kind of the singular vision. And if, if there's, and I think the biggest thing is if there, we always, there are disagreements, there are five of us and we're different. Uh, there humans. has to be, yeah, there has to be, there's five, there's five, yeah, there's five of you. Yeah. 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 Well, we'll literally have like a zoom meeting or, you know, we meet in the office and have a call, a chat about it. So it's well, very good, transparent because we are all, there's, there's five. So if you vote, you know, 
to not. Yeah, that's what we mean. We have, we have, you know, an LLC and we all have voting rights and there's, a, you know, we have all those parameters in place. That's kind of boring stuff, but very, very important for corporate oh, governance. It's Super huge. Important. Everyone needs to know where they stand in terms of their ownership. This is for, you know, co-founders and managing partners or however, you know, it's, it's title per company. There needs to be honesty and transparency within those that have true skin in the game mm -hmm. and that are also potentially the benef benefactors of distributions and payouts and things of that nature. I have seen, not in my personal experience with this company, but I've seen other companies where that transparency did not necessarily exist or it was kind of a fake transparency. Right. And there are little alliances being created like, That's you know, right. like Survivor Island and then there's like other islands. And that I think can be, it's hard enough to build a business and keep it going and everyone keep having positive mindset and pulling in the same direction because it's hard. This is you. I'm the one waking up every day to motivate myself to build this company. You know, right. I don't have a boss. We're all equal bosses, but I, I'm the one, even on the darkest days when I'm super frustrated and I feel like everything's going wrong, I still have to do it. I still have to keep going. So you have to, and that's the price. I don't want to say the price you pay, but that's kind of one of the hats you wear for the potential benefit of, you know, running that's your right. own ship that can have a lot of upside potential. I mean, it's not just like rainbows and kittens and sunshine over here. <laughs> no, it's skies, right? There's going to be stormy days and dark days, and that makes you better at handling crises, multitasking, working with your partners, being collaborative. Because, you know, when you step out of the true corporate world, like I used to just be a cog in the wheel of the great machine, right? There's a lot of safety and security in that mentally benefits, salary, um, you kind of have a potentially a single lane you're, you're swimming in with what your responsibilities are. Now I have like 70 Olympic pools that I'm in. They're super long lanes. And, you know, the company is, you know, it's our baby. We have to keep it moving. You know, it's, it's the five of us that are responsible. And if one of us doesn't keep pulling in the right direction, that could be problematic. So you got to keep everyone motivated. It's hard. It's not, I'm not going to say it's easy. It's, it's, but if you have good partners and you're transparent and build that trust, it can be amazing. There's a couple of things I want to touch on there. Work. Yeah. For, for the listeners, I just want to encourage you, you please have a clean operating, operating agreement and a, and a, you know, a cap table, capitalization yeah. table for the listeners that don't know what I'm talking about, where it specifically spells out what everybody's equity is, what your voting rights are. All of that needs to be in place. I can't tell you how many times I've met people in a startup situation or they're about to get started and they're friends and they're college buddies. And they're like, Oh yeah, we'll, 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 we'll do that later. And I'm always like, no, 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 no. You're going to do that right now. Because if you don't, it, I'm telling you, it could get messy and likely will get messy. The whole, the whole thing with, with having that so structured and clean, what people need to understand is there will be disagreements and arguments. I don't care if it's a family member or who, I don't care how close you are to this person. I don't care if you were raised with them since grade school, there's going to be disagreements and the, the operating agreement and your voting rights and everything, those are all in place to be able to make decisions when the crap hits the fan, because it will. And if that's not in place, you're going to be in trouble and then there's going to be lawsuits and then all kinds of crazy crap. So. <laughs> it very much I think removes unnecessary stress because you're talking about yes. it. At the beginning, it's the good times. You're starting your company. You're very, you're all excited. You're yes. in a room, you're whiteboarding it out or whatever you're doing. It's yep. very clear. Everyone knows exactly what this looks like. And if they don't, you sit in the room till everyone gets it. 
totally agree. Hash it out and you negotiate and you talk about, you know, what do things look like year one, year two, year three with ownership. And, you know, if someone wants to leave the company during year two and what, what it looks like with vesting, these are all things. It's like when I used to talk to clients about an estate plan, people push it off, push it off, push it off. Right. Like I'm 36 and I've had a state plan for five years. You're way ahead of the curve. (laughs) You have to have an estate plan when things are good. Right now, right. if it's sunny in your garden, now is the time to figure it out, especially if you're, you know, I think everyone should, if anyone has any kind of net worth of any kind or retirement or whatever, I think it's super important or just, it's good for medical power training, but you want to do it when things are good, not when the car crash happens, not right. when someone is diagnosed with dementia, not when, right, right, right. I don't know, they have a, a brain yeah. aneurysm. Like there's certain times where you can't come back to make the decisions you need to make now. Same thing with the operating agreement. Do it at the beginning. You can always make amendments. You can always add things that everyone agrees on, but do it, have it set, because this is a hard, this is hard to build, right? (laughs) As much stress as you can remove and money and ownership, people get funny about, right? So yes, my, my words of wisdom are just have it clear. Cause then it's like, we've all talked about this. We've all talked about it. What's been the scariest moment for you so far? Uh, with a, with a three, what do you think? I mean, there's probably there's probably been a few scary moments. Yeah. And a few, a few, uh, it's making sleep, sure it survives. <laughs> yeah, it's making sure it's our baby. Um, the company is all self-funded, and you know we have not taken um, much outside capital at all. I mean, we had a few friends and family and things of that okay. nature, but overall, it's all self-funded. Okay. It's you know when COVID hit, we had a great ramp up from you know end of last year, beginning of this year with capital raising, and then COVID comes and everything stops, right? So kind of the the music stops and there's not a lot of shares left and it's, it's grinding through. And I think it's really good as a company, we've been stress test, right. And, and our fund was stress test with how the markets were performing mm-hmm. during Corona. And, but it's the stress of like, I hope this survives. Like a lot of businesses have been going yeah, through, right? right. Like it's Absolutely. not like we have some big cash cow balance sheet behind us currently. Right. There's five right. of us. And it's, it's are you hard paying? Are you are you paying each other right now? Is everybody getting paid, or are you all some like? Of ah. are some of us aren't. Some of us are, and some of us aren't. It okay. all it was all negotiated at the beginning. It was, and it's very transparent. Okay. You know, transparency is key. Talk about your situations when you're yes. making agreements. Some of us are, and some of us are not. To be totally transparent, I won't disclose who, but these are important things because to people talk about. to pay in life and kids and dogs and mortgages and all that kind of stuff right so it's it's important and those things if they aren't going well like if you feel like you're financially getting concerned that adds stress to building the business right so let me guess your major stress point was probably right around uh i don't know april 1st yeah i'd say so march so march things went crazy we printed a positive (laughs) number in march which was great i feel like the last two and a half weeks of march felt like an eternity till we close that month and then the month after that, I've kind of flown by, which is time is interesting. It's like moving quickly and slow at the same time. It was so interesting. My partner and I, you know, yeah, late March, of course, late March, early April, mm-hmm. we're like, you know, you're like, oh, shit, you know, let's, let's put, what are we going to do? What, what's the safety plan? What's this? What's that? You know, cut back on this, cut back on that. But, you know, one of the things we did pretty quickly was we just kept going. We just, mm-hmm. we just kept staying positive and kept doing our marketing and kept calling customers and we just kept moving forward. Yeah. We didn't, we didn't just stick our head in the sand and say, oh, you know, it, life's terrible. I mean, you know, we uh, we'll still we're still going to finish 20, 25 percent up over last year, even with COVID this year. And I think it's important for people to hear that 
just keep pushing forward, keep moving forward and, yes. and stay positive and you'll probably be okay. Cause a lot of other people will give up and that's more opportunity for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like, you have to realize you're moving forward, but the line is never really straight. Like you might feel it's, it might be like a really long and winding road, but you're, you got to keep going, which is you exactly what we did. We kept saying on our emails and taking calls and reaching out and you, you know, people might not be replying, but now things are picking, you know, people are yep. wanting to meet again and yep. it's just, you got to keep, keep grinding it out. Keep, you know, yep. I, to I totally agree. Totally agree. Yeah. And those, those are some of the scary things. And it's just, um, it's just all the responsibilities, which I, I absolutely love, but you want to make sure you're doing things right you know, financial regulations are super serious and that should be taken very seriously. And, you know, those rules exist and you need to play by those rules. Otherwise it could turn out very poorly. When you look <laughs> back and when you look back now at Golden, Goldman Sachs or JP Morgan, are you like, damn, being an employee was easy. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I literally was talking to this. I was in the phone the other day and someone, we were talking about this same kind of topic. And he was like, I've hired people that are like, I'm entrepreneurs and I want to build something. And then they're there for six, 12, 18 months. And they, you know, they have maybe a catch up or a review. And the people are like, you know, I realize I'm, I just am better as a cog in the wheel. And that's okay. Right. We that's all, okay. That's we all okay. have a role to play and we all have different paths, but you know, I think sure. it's important to try this hat on if people are interested but there's also a moment to be really honest with yourself, whether it's what you like or whether you don't. And that's, there's no right or wrong answer, right? It's what's the best for you. But I think it's good to try the hat on and see, it gives you a definitive answer. Potentially. It, is, it, it is okay if you want to be the cog and you shouldn't feel guilty about it. But no? if you do want to try something, I encourage you to at least try once. Try yeah. once for sure. And maybe a couple of times, because if you don't, you're going to be 68 years old and you're going to have regrets and you don't want that. So yeah, I encourage it's answering you. the question for yourself in a way. Yeah. Cause you can always go back to being an employee. Yeah. You, you can. That's another thing. I think people, they, they, in their heads, they're like, well, if I try this and it doesn't work, like life's over. No, not really. You, you, you may hit some speed bumps financially, but you will get another job. You'll life will go on. It's going to be okay. So it's okay to try it. Yeah. And even, I mean, even I have those moments where I panic and like, Oh God, but I was like, you know what? Build your network out, be a positive person. Yes. Keep that uh, Networking is a huge thing. Keep that network alive. Even if it's just a quick email, check in people, a text, grab a socially distant coffee wherever you are if you can, or just something. Just keep yes. those little fires alive because you never know where it's all going to lead, whether it's in building your business out in the 10 years down the road. It, it, I've had the weirdest random connections. I have met people who helped me get yoga jobs, like at studios here. It's, you never know. And you never, I would also you share never your passions. Like I shared my yoga passion and that helped with all different things on that side of my life as well. Are you still teaching? Are you still doing yoga classes? I am. Yeah. So in Denver, I, we jumped right on zoom um, in March when everything kind of shut down. So I did a bunch of zooming in March, April, and uh, May, cool. then May, May, June, things started opening up. And so I teach in person, okay. uh, I teach at Colorado athletic club and I teach at, um, Carbon Fitness in Uptown. So just some studios here in Dwarfin, if anyone is familiar with that in Denver as well. But we have cool. to wear a mask in class yeah. and yeah. everyone that's on the map wears a mask. But we're in person and I, it's, it's good to be back with students. Like I love Zoom and this is amazing, but it's hard as a yoga teacher to look at a screen and make the connection. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, Zoom's fun and everything, but uh, I, I personally just miss getting together with people and being around human beings. I mean, I'm, I, you know, I've missed that a ton. Now, I will say our American Express bill for happy hours and dinners went like this. Last, oh, yeah. 
And I play so much because you're like, wow, we're not going anywhere. I'm not doing anything. And I was cooking. I mean, I love to cook, but I was always cooking every night. And, you know, it, it was, it wasn't all terrible, but I yeah. think there's something nice about like when I was teaching on Zoom, you know, people have their laptops open, right? So you're still in the tech space, in your technology. You're looking at the little red bubbles, your That's icons. Right. Or That's right. That's or right. Or being able to step away and go to a park or a studio where you leave that tech outside of the room or mm -hmm. in your car. I think it's important to detach because so much, this is now how a lot of us are working and going to school. And I, I just think it's, it's a lot for the brain to process. You need that time. Like, even if it's not workout, like just leave your phone at home and take yes. a couple of blocks, walk or something, walk around your yard. I don't know, play with your dog or cat or whatever. It's hard because a lot of it, I mean, I, you know, I got a 49 inch monitor sitting here and I've got laptops and phones <laughs> and it's like, like NASA, no. like lots of stuff happening. I want to ask you one more question. I know we're almost out of time. My oh. wife and I, my wife and I went to have pizza last night at a, at a restaurant and um, we have a rule. Like we, we, you cannot pull out your phone when we're out to dinner together. Nobody, nobody can pull out their phone. Right. And I was, I was sitting there watching several couples just play on their phones and not, not engage with each other. And I thought to myself, why are you even going out on date night? If you're not even going to talk you're like this, is, you're supposed to be engaging. So yeah, it's important to put that damn phone down. I it is. It's, I mean, Ben and I have a very similar rule and, and sometimes we break it, you know, but I really try to detach from it because yeah. it's not, I am not a brain surgeon who is right. saving right. lives necessarily or right. a right. transplant surgeon. That's how I kind of think about it. I'm like, I am not someone who literally has to be on call because I am needed because right. it's bleeding out on the table. Right, right. Especially in the evening exactly. hours, right? Like at, at once I'm done for the day and I, maybe I finished teaching, like I want to reconnect with Ben. He's been busy all day. I am not someone who sadly saves lives in that regard. So I think it's important. And it's important, I think, mentally, because you can just be in that void and scroll oh, yeah. forever and get sucked forever. into yes. a hashtag to a hashtag to a hashtag. And then like two hours have gone by and you're yep. like, wait, how did I find this dark part of Instagram? I don't even know how I got here. But it's, it's you know, it's, uh, it's, hard, so though. it's hard to pull away from that. It's, it is. But it's, I think it's, I have a timer on my Instagram, 25 minutes. Oh, Every no, there's day. A good, there's a good idea. There's a good idea. A little timer yeah. that says, oh, yep, you're done. <laughs> 25 minutes. And I, I try to be very, very That's strict with myself idea. with that, that time. Is, that is a good, timer, idea, a good idea. Yeah. And that time might be happening at 9 a.m., which is like, mm. less bad. Or it might happen at 8 p.m. So I, I, I like just, that. It's to follow your own boundaries, right? I'm trying oh. to. I like that. I like, I, I like that. <laughs> I like that. I like that. La last question. I know we're right at 1.30 no, here. La last question. Um, if you had to define your core purpose in life, if you had to put that in a sentence mm -hmm. and I asked you to exclude family, let's just, let's just kind of set family aside. Like it's its own special core purpose. So not including family, what is Kim's core purpose in life? Ooh, that's tough. Um, <sighs> I think for me, if it's all components of what I'm doing, I'm trying to, in my business, in my life, in my yoga, in my relationships, I'm trying to bring my best self forward. And I am trying to treat everyone how I would like to be treated back. Mm. And I think the golden, we, the golden rule. Yeah. And I, that sounds so cheesy, probably a cop out, but I do think you just never know what the person you're speaking to, whether you know them or not is encountering your day. That's and I right. think this really stems back to my approach as a yoga teacher that I'm holding the space for my students. They are all coming there for a particular reason. I am not more wise than anyone on the mat. 
Mm. Right. I just have spent thousands of dollars and done 500 yoga hours of training and I teach all the time. Right. So I have like a skill set and the knowledge, but I, I want to hold the space and I want to do that with all people in my life and, mm. and hear people out and to be a better listener than I am speaking all the time. Cause I think mm. that's another skill that we don't use as much like to really listen to someone and not be trying to talk over them or interrupt them or just really like mm. let someone finish their thought and let someone have their process. Good and stuff. also to let it go. Let it go. If you can't control it, <laughs> right. let it go. Like if it doesn't serve you, let it go. And that's with everything. That's not just the yoga philosophy I'm bringing in, but it's like all components. Like I try to, you know, there's a lot of stuff you can control in your life, but it also there's things like how you reply to emails. Don't fire them off when you're upset. You know, when you're, when you're mad at someone, take 10 seconds. You know, at a store, if there's a long line, you know, Maybe put your AirPods in and listen to an audiobook. Yep. Listen to a podcast. Like there's lots of stuff, educational. Like there's so many things. That's kind of what I, I used to be, have all this like anxiety and I have to do all these things and accomplish all these things and just know like your path is going to get there. Don't compare yourself. Just keep plugging forward and be true to you and try to be as positive as you can, especially because I feel like the world gets more and more combative every day. It feels like, it feels that <laughs> way. Maybe it always was combative. Uh, but but we just didn't see it all the time because it wasn't slammed in front of us through social media. But boy, it sure feels combative. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, and I don't. I'm like, man, can't we just? You know, I'll just give my, my give my stepdaughter a little call out here as we as we head towards wrap up. We went to Lake of the Ozarks. Have you been there? I'm not. No. It's actually pretty cool. We did like the little house on the water and rented oh, cool. the boat, rented the boat and did the whole thing. Nice. <clears throat> anyway, my daughter who's 30. Um, you know, she just had such, like, she should have been like uh, 21 in 1976 in, in a bus with like flowers on it headed towards California. Like she should have been that hippie girl. Like she just, she just said, hey, look, I just want to spread love. She goes, I just want to spread love. I want to spread joy. And I want to make sure everybody's having a good time. And I just was like, damn, that's refreshing. Like, yes, we need more of that. <laughs> Please. Yeah, I think it's important. I think we're losing that. You know what I mean? And, yes. And are, yeah. I, I don't. I don't find arguing to be <laughs> exhilarating or fun. I mean, sometimes I have to be legal in my emails regarding certain yeah. things. You know, and, and that's not coming from an emotional place. It's just you know. But I don't think fighting in those kinds of terms of what's happening is like fun. I think it's exhausting yeah. and taxing exhausting. in so many ways. Um, and I, I agree with your your daughter. I'm like that's so. If people just took a step back and realized like everyone's going through something, you just right, don't right. know. Like, Bingo. Why do I going to yell at the woman when I'm checking out at Costco or something? You know, it, it, like there's no reason. Like we're just going to, it's just, you know, know. You know, you're, you're so right. A perfect example of that is I'll use my neighborhood. There's a couple of houses in my neighborhood that I've always been super irritated by because the yards are crappy the house needs to be fixed up. There's shit laying around in the lawn. And I'm, I'm telling my wife, I'm like, can they not like pick that crap? Like what is wrong with them? You know, just, I'm just bitching about it all the time. Come to find out there are major health issues in both situations. And the people are both like over 65 and they physically can't do it. And they financially are in a situation where they can't pay somebody to do it. And here I am making all these assumptions and griping about them. So to your point, you know, you never know what's behind the curtain. So be, be careful before you just start blasting somebody. 
Yeah, I think it's important to, because sometimes you'll be in that funk too, right? That's right. And I want someone to have that same kind of mindset to me, because not every day I try, you know, I meditate, I do yoga and all those things. And hey, we all have bad days. I'm a human, right? And sometimes yeah. I have bad weeks in a row and everything feels like it's kind of falling apart and frustrating. But, <laughs> you know, I just, I don't want to impart that. That's my stuff to work through. And I think all those little challenges make us better people when you navigate through kind of like you know going through the fire and keep pushing and figuring it out right instead of just like I've confronted head on I totally agree Kim I could talk to you for another two hours but I know <laughs> we got I know both of us got to do more thank you so much for being yeah, on the next you have to do this all the time and do long form <laughs> podcasts. <laughs> I, I I have been told that before that we, we should try to do more. The the problem is I gotta work the recruiting firm a little bit or oh. I don't I don't get to eat. <laughs> we need like another twenty four hours added to each day. I get another, it. Another another yeah. you've been you've been awesome. Thank you for being oh. on the show. Thank you so much, Steve. I so appreciate it. If you think today's tip or guest interview can help someone you know, please share this with them. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to our channel and hit the like button. If you're listening on YouTube, don't forget to hit that little bell next to the subscribe button so you can be notified when we release a new episode. Our show features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there, as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviews. You can visit riderflex.com to learn more about us and get information on the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.